0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made, high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. Yeah, so how many, day, how many days a week can you spend every day? As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime time that I get, I'm, I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
2: tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
1: to get the groove on get your groove on with houndsman xp i am your host chris powell welcome to another edition of the houndsman xp podcast and i just want to tell everybody that's out there hunting bears in the west right now i'm jealous i've had to postpone trips to the west a few times already this spring it's aggravating but it's life you know it's um one of those deals. I'm really envious of you guys that are out there getting after it, getting the groove on with those bear dogs right now. But it's coming. It's coming for me. The training seasons are going to open up back in the east here real shortly. Heath has been getting after it down in North Carolina with with uh, Brent Bunch, BB as he calls him. A lot of exciting stuff watching those pups develop and and come into their own right now such a such a great time of the year a little bit hot a little bit hot for me back here in the east i'd like to be at seven thousand feet with shorty Gorham out there on the palomas right now chasing some hounds and doing some houndsman stuff so i don't feel like such a half-assed houndsman right now and i really do seth is chasing bears in british columbia he's gonna have all kinds of cool content coming out on our patreon page for all you patrons probably seeing some of the snapshots from that on our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram. He's up there representing Houndsman XP and Freedom Hunters just coming off of a Memorial Day weekend and Seth is up there supporting the warriors who face our enemies who are trying to suppress our freedoms. I want to give a shout out to everybody who has engaged and ordered from our online store. We had a little deal there over Memorial Day, released the Fair Chase t-shirt, and we were busy all weekend fulfilling orders. And they all shipped, so you should be getting your merchandise. Hopefully by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, you can get out there and start repping Houndsman. And the fact that hunting with hounds is the original fair chase. You can check out our cool merchandise on our store at houndsmanxP.com. We've got t-shirts up there. We've got hats up there. We've got the knife sheaths up there. Laser engraved leather wrapped tumblers. Watch for a Father's Day promo coming up. Get that hound dad in your life. The perfect gift for Father's Day. At houndsmanxp.com, hit the shop link and go in there. Also, check out our sponsors. It's very important that we're supporting the people that support us. Blockchain support is what's going to keep us rolling as houndsmen, as hunters in this country. We got to have that broad support from from places like Onex, Dogs Are Treed, One TDC, Go Wild. I mean, the list goes on and on. Joy Dog Food, you already heard that ad. I'm not going to repeat that. I don't want to make this an ad roll. But another organization that is out there fighting for us, and and the reason I went to this organization is after Corey Huntsman from the Utah Houndsman Association was on the podcast, in the many discussions we've had, he said, Safari Club International is getting involved in this mountain lion Debacle in the state of Utah. So, what did I do? I got a three-year membership to Safari Club International. During that promo, they sent me a reveal tacticam. to Cam. A lot of benefits there, and I also said, "Hey, we need to have you guys on this podcast and talk about Safari Club International and what this organization does for hunters on a global scale." So, let's get down to it and talk to Chris Timerson from sci and the guy's got credentials out the wazoo and uh, worked in the wildlife management field for his whole career as an attorney it's a good conversation gives you an idea of what we're facing out there and the work that's being done to preserve protect and promote hunting with hounds so let's get the tailgate down the houndsman xp competition extreme dog box is rocking we got a box shaker it's time to dump the box take a, a pretty deep dive into an organization that's been working for for hunters for a long time we're going to feature chris Tymison from safari club international first for hunters how you doing chris
2: i'm doing great just got back from washington dc yesterday so kind of sorting out uh what i need to accomplish this next week
1: <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of chrises in this show when we we're setting this email up you know we we're going with with you and and uh chris uh lasavita how do you pronounce his name lasavita lasavita yeah i mean it's like all of a sudden there's three chrises in this thing and I, I was going huh what you're talking to me when we we're trying to get this all set up so um welcome glad you can make it
2: thank you looking forward yeah. to this
1: yeah, so let's just uh, kind of lay out, you know, SCI's mission, uh, you know, what you guys have, how long you've been, been working for hunters. I love your slogan, First for Hunters. And, uh, you know, just started, I'm going to start by addressing the elephant in the room because for a lot of years, uh, I, I kind of felt like I was under the impression that SCI was, you know, like more of the white collar crowd. You know the guys that the guys that hunted in africa and you know what does sci really do for me so so you know i i, I wasn't a member for a number of years i am now but uh, uh let's just let's just start with addressing that elephant in the room
2: sure. sci has been around for over 50 years uh it is an advocacy organization Fights on behalf of all hunters i like to say i do everything from rabbits to rhinos And I work just solely in the Western U S that's my entire job is to do government affairs across the West.
1: Yep. So what, um, what types of issues right now are taking up SCI's time, taking up your time. You just got back from Washington.
2: Just got back from Washington, DC. We did a fly in with our membership, talking about six big issues that concern us on the federal level, trophy bans, um, stuff like that um and then lately in the west i've been uh dealing with commission reform uh predators are like low-hanging fruit for the antis guns i've gotten involved in a lot of gun stuff this year that as it impacts hunters um a whole smorgasbord of things this morning i'm working on mustang wild mustangs in nevada In nevada right
1: let's make the mustang the state horse you know the one the one that's out there uh consuming wildlife habitat taking up space that that other wildlife could be living and we're gonna we're gonna give protections to the mustang that was not indigenous to north america
2: right it's like making the silver carp the state fish of illinois or the snakehead (laughs) the state fish of maryland an invasive species that we have to manage
1: yeah yeah When, when we're talking about when we're talking about sci and your involvement there um you know one of the things that you had mentioned was predators and and predator control that's one that directly impacts this audience uh that i am that i always keep my eye on But man, there's been an onslaught of gun, anti-gun bills, ammunition, all kinds of stuff. So what are you guys doing with uh, like lead bans and different things on federal properties?
2: Right. So that's one of the things we did this week in DC was talk with federal legislators about proposed lead bans. Every year, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service comes up with a hunt fish rule uh, in the Two administrations ago, the outgoing Fish and Wildlife Service director tried to ban lead ammunition and tackle on all national wildlife refuges. The incoming administration, which is the Trump administration, uh, reversed those rules rather quickly, Uh, but it's still a constant battle. Obviously, we believe that it should be a a member's choice what they use. There are cost considerations involved with uh, transitioning from a lead to a non-toxic type of shot. And so we met with our legislators and our members of Congress this week and talked to them about making sure they keep an eye on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. As they implement those new hunt fish rules that they do every year, they're transitioning those slowly to non-toxic opportunities or expanding from current Lead opportunity to non-toxic mandatory.
1: There it is. Not a non-topic, not a non-toxic option. It's a, yes. it's a man, something that they want to make mandated. And we we've talked about this a couple times on this podcast, but I think. That it's important in case people didn't pick up on it the other episodes we've done to talk about it here too. What's your opinion or SEI's position on. You you talked about the price difference. What is that increase to a non-toxic top solution look like, and how is it going to affect hunters directly?
2: Well, I think there's a capacity issue also, right? So ammunition manufacturers have a capacity issue. You couldn't just be like, tomorrow, it's all going to be non-toxic. Right. But I'm going to have it outdoors when I'm going to have it hunter and i drew by way of example i drew a special hunt on a national wildlife refuge south of kansas city which is where i'm based i based mm-hmm. out of kansas city work out of the dc office and mm-hmm. it requires non-toxic shot for turkeys so i bought some tss which as opposed to the i was working in my basement yesterday i must have a couple hundred turkey loads down there right but uh I have 10 TSS loads that cost me about 60 bucks for five so about 12 bucks a shot 10 bucks a shot as opposed to ten dollars for 10 of, of a normal turkey load two and three quarter inch or three inch load so it's significant it can be significant and it can mm-hmm. be a, a barrier if you look at a, <clears throat> a pheasant hunter who's just going to go out in western Kansas it's an easy transition to get from go from non hunter to hunter in that it doesn't require a lot of equipment. You get some blaze orange, <clears throat> you've got a shotgun, and you pick up a box of shells, mm-hmm. some just some lead loads, and you're going to spend, I don't know, 10 or 12, maybe a little more, it depends on what you buy. And if you transition that to a non toxic load, then you're talking 20 or 25. I mean, it can be expensive.
1: Yeah. yes, And we're looking right now, they're trying to expand in where is, just give us an update on that exactly where we're at on that, because I know that it was originally proposed for wildlife refuges. And then uh, I've always known, I, I worked in government for almost 30 years and I've, I've watched the creep, the mission creep, you know, and, and once, you get that first foothold in there then you just start expanding 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 so um where are we at are we still on refuges or is there a lot of talk about blm and forestry property state wildlife management areas are they going to have to get in line on this thing or what's going on with that
2: so i haven't seen the you talk about mission creep i was i spent five years in the military I spent 24 years in government and now I work for SCI. So I, I'm pretty familiar with Mission Creep. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, and I was the chief attorney for the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks for 22 of that. And uh, in that vein, state wildlife management areas, when it related to uh, doves in Kansas, for example, uh, Kansas went non-toxic on those dub fields during the dove season because of the concentration of and the management, like they're growing sunflowers, trying to attract doves. And there's a fair amount of shot that ends up in those fields. Mm-hmm. Right. But um each year we talked about that introduction of a new rule and the what they what the Fish and Wildlife Service, they I think they had 19 refuges last year. I read all the read all read the rule for all those refuges. And in each opportunity, they were expanding uh, hunting and they were transitioning that new hunt into non-toxic. So it's coming in various places. The one, you know, I'm an avid fisherman too. And mm-hmm. I, I fish almost every day. I I try to fish every day. I had 256 days last year of fishing because I'm crazy obsessive. But I <laughs> I made the choice to choose to buy a product that's about 99% lead free, that is not always an option for every, every piece of tackle that you buy either. And the fish and wildlife service is transitioning fishing opportunities also to non-toxic. So, and that's a lot tougher. It's a really, I mean, as a, as an angler, that's a tougher sell because the product just isn't there.
1: Yeah. it, It totally baffles my mind and maybe you can shed some light on this but in your time in dc and as you're working on these issues with the legislators by the way these legislators provide funding approve bills and different things for the u.s fish and wildlife service so that's why it's important to know your legislators and talk to those people but uh, does it ever come up with all of the green energy options we're pushing for One, the massive casualties that our wind turbine fields are causing across our country to to migratory birds, birds of prey, it's all there. Does that ever come up?
2: We didn't focus on that this last week, so I didn't have a conversation on that. You know, there are choices that we make, whether it's it doesn't matter what it is, there are consequences for the choices that we make, one way mm-hmm. or another, right? And so, as we move towards a greener energy or a requirement for some product to be more green, then you know, do you mine? You have to ultimately mine something else to, to, replace I was going to bring up mines, yeah, right, right. And SCI is not really engaged in that, but I mean, that's just an example. Okay. So if you, if you can't use lead, do you then have to come up with the non-toxic alternative, which also comes from the ground? They all come from the ground. So you're choosing just to have a different impact on wildlife potentially if the, if the science shows that it's there.
1: hundred percent. You know, I look at satellite imagery from a copper mine which seems to be the direction that a lot of manufacturers have already started moving towards you know with copper solids and federal release some copper ammunition but you look at the the environmental impact of a copper mine and it's pretty daggone significant you know there's a lot of there's a lot of displacement there uh for wildlife when you start talking about copper mines and and I just don't, for a simpleton like me, I cannot put it in my head that, you know, lead's more readily available. It's less impactful in the environment as far as the process of mining it. So there's another reason why we're moving towards, towards this copper push, you know, and that's, that, I think that's what a lot of what my audience is sitting back. We've got all these questions of why, why would you do this? It doesn't make sense
2: right right i get that i mean again we make choices and those choices have consequences whether it's how you spend your money or what product you want to use and its impact i think you have to look towards the science though and if the science for example led on a a, an individual member of a species is that going to have a catastrophic impact on that species as a whole And in the case of condors, California condors, which are pretty rare birds, maybe right, Uh, but in the case of, you know, pheasants in Western Kansas, no. Right,
1: right, right. You know, my, my 153 grain bullet coming out of whatever firearm I'm shooting and landing obscurely on the landscape out here, the chances of a condor coming by And, uh, picking that out of the ground is (laughs) it's, it's pretty, pretty minimal. Right. Right. When you're looking at the vastness of, of that area. So it's, it's just one of those deals that, that just baffles my mind. And probably the first mistake I'm make, Chris is trying to find out, trying to, trying to reason why government makes decisions. If we could figure that out, man, we would be onto something.
2: That's right. I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what else is SEI working on that, that we need to know about?
2: Right. So every day I wake up, I, I'm, you know, I used to be a wildlife lawyer. I'm, I like to think that I'm a wildlife law nerd, essentially. Yeah. I get up, fire up my computer, and I start reading statutes and regs and scanning headlines for things that I think will impact our membership. And then, once I identify those issues, uh, then I write testimony on behalf of the organization or. I get our working lots of coalitions across the West notify coalitions and then also. Uh, I do grassroots work, so like if it's if it's super concerning, I think our membership can make a huge difference, which they can their voices as individuals and collectively make a huge difference um I'll notify those members through an action alert system that we have it's called the hack Hunter Action Advocacy Action Center and if you take and sign up for that we would love to have people sign up you don't have to be a member you're going to see the value in it and hopefully then you'll become a member with us Mm -hmm. um but essentially then I can tailor that to where you live to send out an alert to you as a member we have your email and then ask you to contact a decision maker, whether it's a legislator or a governor or, you know, department officials.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. we've so, got a go, go ahead. ahead.
2: Sorry. I was Obviously. just going to say, so I look at those things every day and, and yeah, I keep a list of things that I'm working on. We talked about Senate bill 90 and the Mustang stuff in Nevada. I was looking at some Louisiana stuff this morning too. I've got some comments potentially on, uh, some regs out there at commission level that have to be done by the end of the month Wyoming wolves Utah's got a couple comments I think coming up uh one that and I'm a waterfowler too I shot a swan in uh North Carolina several years ago a tundra swan and I see that Utah's changing their regs currently to uh take away the opportunity to there's like a trumpeter swan allowance essentially up to 20 birds
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: uh I find that a little concerning just from a hunter standpoint and having hunted swans. I don't know that I personally, and I'm a pretty avid outdoorsman, could tell the difference between a trumpeter and a tundra on the wing. I'm sure that some people can, you know, but right. I'm, I'm not sure I could. And if I'm the average Joe citizen coming from somewhere in the United States and it's my dream to shoot a swan in Utah, that's a pretty big risk to get a to get a violation for accidentally shooting a trumpeter
1: yeah and no, I, doubt, I no doubt the no
2: understand the biological background right they don't want to shoot number of trumpeters who are coming out of Yellowstone I think that's where that population comes from uh but you know that's a little concerning to me just as a hunter that we're going to end up misidentifying it we do it for ducks so there's that but you know hunt of a lifetime to come to Utah and shoot a swan and end up getting a citation yeah, and they get a, an accident.
1: And they're cellmates with El Chapo <laughs> <laughs> for, for shooting a federally protected bird. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so you said something about wolves that really perked my ears up. Yeah. What are you working on? Them? Well, wolves are always uh, a Wyoming's name, but... just
2: got Wyoming's got their comment period open on <clears throat> their wolf regulation. I am working on wolves also. Last week spent a fair amount of time working on Colorado wolves. Um, and it's been an ongoing issue. And by way of background, if you listeners don't know, uh, there was a ballot box biology measure put forward to reintroduce wolves to Colorado and it passed by 12,000 votes. And since then it's been developing a reintroduction plan and trying to figure out the way that it's the least impactful to land managers and ranchers mm-hmm. and how we move forward, you know, that's the the reintroduction is solely on the west slope which yep. we also know that wolves will not stay in one place
1: and all the votes they, came from the east slope right to, right to, to tell the west slope that they can have wolves <laughs> right
2: yeah so th- this year in the legislature there was a bill there was there have been three I think bills one on compensation which we supported increasing the level of compensation to affected farmers and ranchers um, there was a bill on 10, the one that I'm most concerned about is uh, 10J population, an experimental designation by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. As those wolves are introdu- reintroduced or introduced into Colorado, <clears throat> the deadline for that is December 31st, the arbitrary deadline set by the governor. And so we encouraged a bipartisan measure in the legislature, and it was really bipartisan to delay introduction until the feds have come up with that 10j designation obviously when you have an experimental population like that you can control them lethally in different ways right so if you have a pack that's decimating cattle herds you could take out problem animals with the 10j designation without it you can't do anything right and and so only if they're attacking people and so it, if the legislature passed that bill and if the governor doesn't sign it the governor's essentially turning his back on the western half of the state and the uh agricultural interests there mm-hmm. I think it's very problematic uh so I we've been working in the, I have a very strong coalition that I work with and very strong chapters in Colorado very strong members politically and uh have worked on this issue for well this whole legislative session but prepping back last year and uh now we're just waiting for the governor to either sign or not sign and we sent out an alert last week encouraging the governor to sign Mm -hmm. obviously
1: now does does that bill also uh without the 10j does that also protect wolves that would move from colorado to neighboring states say wyoming or uh, utah what what what's the deal with that i mean there's another something on the table about that too well i think
2: that that i think that that is not contained in the 10j and if those wolves do branch out not a we have we have litigators i'm not a litigator for sci we have litigators who handle all this and it's probably a better question for them more suited to what happens if a wolf which comes in as a 10j wolf designation goes into utah yeah i think that that is going to be a problem Mm -hmm. it's going to be a problem
1: right sure yeah yeah what other types of predator issues are you are you working on chris
2: well i work frequently on bears and of course the grizzly Grizzly? gets gets into the litigation stuff more so i submitted some comments on the grizzly bear plan in montana and and we also have a large carnivore biologist uh, sci is made up of Uh, the foundation side and then the advocacy side and the advocacy side legally speaking is a 501c4 uh the foundation side is a 501c3 and they do conservation work and we have um the former Louisiana black bear biologist she retired from the state of Louisiana and then uh, came to work for SCI and she handles carnivore uh conservation projects like in the Yukon or you know still working in louisiana or other places florida there's discussion about a black bear season so i'll submit comments on those types of rigs as well uh, and then she uh, helps me out in that regard i'm simply an attorney not a bear biologist right mm-hmm. but i did work in conservation for a long time so i have those basic principles down when i'm submitting that letter and stuff like that uh, mountain lions also coyote coyote contests on public land that's a big one that's another federal issue as well but we had the same thing in the states uh, you know the mountain lion issue just i think in general anti-hunters see mountain lions wolves bears bobcats uh, coyotes as low-hanging fruit like they can pick that off And that's why I think it's important when we talk to people and other hunters and we say, look, I know you don't hunt rabbits or you don't hunt rhinos, but together we're strong. And if you allow that other type of hunting to go away, you've weakened your own position when it comes to ducks or deer or turkeys or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the messages that we have always pushed on this podcast you know when we started there was no voice for houndsmen in the podcast space um we'd really lost a lot of the narrative to the anti-hunting crowd they were in total control of that and uh, nobody was really coming out and saying hey houndsmen you need to be aware of this and also other types of hunters need to be aware that houndsmen are out here and we need help we need your support we need your help so we're constantly talking about building those bridges in the hunting community to strengthen all of us because i don't care if you're you know you're a an elk hunter in in the rocky mountains there's a lot of there's a lot to lose if you allow the antis to pick off houndsmen and the game that we hunt you know you're talking about biological data that's collected you know predator to prey ratios that are that are uh gathered by wildlife managers you know the healthier herds are gathered through a lot of these lion studies that we're doing out there so there's a lot for you to lose if if you sit back and you think well i'm not a houndsman and i don't have any desire to to hunt uh mountain lions so the antis can have that one I, that's not going to affect me yeah it is it's going to affect me. XP podcast network is sponsored by onyx The most comprehensive mapping system in the world is available by going to onyxmaps.com and downloading their app. Several subscription offers there. Highly recommend you use an Onyx. And here's a true story for you. We've all got that spot where when we turn our hound loose at night, they're gonna head that direction. Well, the other night, my hounds headed in a direction for that property that had recently sold. I had no idea who owned that property. I simply opened up my Onyx app, found the landowner information, cut the dogs off, and the next day I went to their house. And not only did I get permission to hunt there, I think I made some new friends. They are beef farmers and they do not like raccoons running through the feed bunks, leaving their mess behind, yeah. Go to onyxmaps.com and download the app today at checkout. Make sure you use the promo code HXP20 and get 20% off. When you join us on Patreon, you will get a discount code for a deeper discount on Onyx Maps. Know where you stand with Onyx.
2: We certainly have strength in numbers. And I've said this before, you know, when game populations are high hunters are apathetic right They're they're happy oh yeah you can shoot six deer in kansas well who's not happy with that like right. one buck and five does right it's pretty amazing when you think about where we were a hundred hundred years ago versus where we are today right sure. And kansas first deer season was 1965 first modern deer season wow. and it was pretty limited and the reason why kansas has a phenomenal deer herd today is because it's hunted post rut right those big bucks are uh, less vulnerable post rut than they are during the rut and so when game back to that point game populations when they're high and you can kill really good animals they're not behind every tree but you know kansas manages for a three and a half year old buck, but to get people to come out unless there's a crisis. Most people don't come to commission meetings. They don't get engaged. And I'm here to tell you the antis are there every day. Their sole purpose, it doesn't matter if it's houndsmen or raccoon trappers or whatever, they just wanna shut it all down. So they're united in their purpose. Hunters are not, and we need to be hunters and trappers. We need to be out there every day because the proverbial wolves are at the door every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they sure are. Um, w- one of the things that we discussed talking about, and one of the reasons I really got, um, laser focused on SCI was during this past legislative session in Utah, uh, the mountain lion was reduced to, uh, I don't even know what you could even describe it as exactly, but a lot of the regulations and, and, um, uh, things were lifted on the the utah mountain lion pretty much made it a year-round season no limitations on age sex there's a few stipulations that still exist in the law but um the the reason that that i really got laser focused on sci is because Corey huntsman and i were having he's the president of the utah houndsman association and uh he he told me that sci had some focus on that and and we're stepping up to the plate there so what are you guys doing there and and uh who are you working with and just give us the lowdown on that
2: sure so we have a chapter that's pretty active in Utah and uh you know I follow the process the legislative process for every state west of the Mississippi and Legislatures move fast and there are certain rules that apply to legislatures that don't apply necessarily to like commissions. Commissions Mm -hmm. move a lot a lot slower. In my humble opinion, the legislative process is a lot less open than like I can I can call a commissioner, a wildlife commissioner, or show up at a public meeting that's announced during the legislative process sometimes in my experience a bill will be heard the next morning you'll get noticed the night before and that's virtually impossible for you know a working person to be able to be like oh unless it's your job to be a lobbyist to be able to be right there right and you know when it came down to this particular issue uh i think that people people were particularly upset at how the process was how the process went and um you know there was an amendment on a on the floor where people don't have an opportunity to speak on the house house or Senate floor of the legislature and while that process is legal it may not be right and so I think that upset a lot of people SCI engaged with um an action alert to our advocacy system asking people in Utah to then contact the governor to veto it to say hey let's have a conversation if the science is there to support the proposal that was put forth on treatment of mountain lions well then the science will win the day Mm -hmm. right it'll show hey mountain lions are not at risk of going out blinking out in Utah we're not at risk of diminishing the population to where we don't see these animals. So let the science be heard and let's have a conversation about it instead of rushing something through at the last minute. I think that's really the big issue. And there is a mechanism to do that. And it's called the wildlife commission. Let the, let this be heard at the wildlife commission.
1: Yeah. They were pretty much slapped on the mouth and said, Hey, keep, sit, sit down over there and shut up and let us do what we need to do over here. And um it was snuck in at the at the 11th hour, tacked onto another bill that that and it was just it wasn't very extensive. I mean it was uh, uh just a couple a couple sentences there that that pretty much stripped all of the teeth away uh, took all the teeth away from the the wildlife professionals and started legislating biology wildlife management and biology.
2: yeah, I think that that's another issue, right you're it's ba- it's not vastly different than the Colorado Wolf situation that we discussed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Ballot box biology, or you're you're letting one or two people really drive this process because the other people on the on the floor don't know what's going on. They just agree. They have to at some level. You do have to trust your your other legislators that they're sure. going to do do it right. So you're trusting that this amendment that comes on is the right thing. And again, I think that process exists or it existed. They could have used that process to avail themselves of of a discussion. And I think people are upset that it's a discussion item that didn't occur. They didn't get to have their input. You know, I also think it plays a little bit into the hands of the antis who say we don't care about predator species. Now we've just gone and willy nilly changed the law to where there's very little management of those species
1: Hmm. that's an interesting that's an interesting approach to that I never even gave that any thought you know the legislators make this decision and then when we go out and we do abide by it and hunt by those then it gives the anti-hunting crowd traction I've got
2: the same issue going on in Texas. Really, there was a petition last year at the commission level, and it's the whole idea was there is no management in that state of, right. of that species, and the arguments are similar to what I just said: no management. So they wanted to impose some arbitrary limits on uh, the take of mountain lions in Texas, and of course we argued and, until we have some biology, let's just not upend the system and change it let's Mm -hmm. let's have a discussion about it and see where it goes
1: you know that whole deal down in texas they opted for a five-year study plan a study commission and when i read through the uh the participators who were invited the, the the groups that were invited you know they mentioned stakeholders and in those stakeholders they're allowing animal welfare groups to sit in this on this panel Agreed. you know and um, why in the world are we calling animal welfare groups stakeholders in this they have no stake they just collect money from the ignorance of people who know nothing about wildlife management and say we're trying to save this beautiful species out there on the Texas landscape to send us money that's their that's their stake in it
2: right uh, right i i watched that form we tried to get on that stakeholder group SCI did. Uh, I'm actually going down there uh, at the beginning of next month to meet with the director who just came on this year and um, I'm going to meet with him and the assistant director and the wildlife division director, bring in our folks from Texas Trophy Hunters uh, for listeners who don't know. Texas Trophy Hunters is part of SCI also. And um, I'm also bringing in that bear biologist that we have, the carnivore biologist Maria davidson mm-hmm. she's coming in so we're going to have a little meeting and see what we can do to help out uh i know there are some folks who would like to have some studies funded and help with some of those studies and that's going to be our offer yeah so is out there doing great things on behalf of hunters it, that you know i just gave you a small smattering of just the mountain lion issue right we right. We've talked about utah we've talked about texas i did some comments on uh, last year, the antis made a concerted effort as they, as Arizona moved forward as the Game and Fish, which I don't think the Game and Fish would have changed their policy on uh, mountain lions and their take based on those comments. But right. I saw that the antis were doing it so then we had, I felt like we needed as hunters to have our voice heard. And so we sent out an alert on that. I've submitted comments on lions in Montana and Wyoming, trying to think if there's any other place that I've submitted in the last, I've been on with SCI for a year and a half now. So now all my comments are starting to cut, you know, run together. (laughs) I can think of those ones for sure.
1: Yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah. That whole Arizona deal. That was a, I think I hate to go back and, and dig up the past, but we got to learn from history or we're doomed to repeat it. And you know, that was, again, that whole thing was a deal where. The anti hunters through the public comment section, uh, process suggested that bears, mountain lions, and bobcats should not be hunted with hounds all of a sudden, boom. And so that was, and by my own admission, I didn't even think to call SCI, but I worked with Rocky mountain elk, wild sheep foundation, uh, a couple other groups that, that and, and a lot of, a lot of these groups, it was so new that, and it was because I was laser focused on that, that, that we brought it to their attention. Sportsman's Alliance, uh, got involved in that and, um, uh, yeah, it, uh, it died a miserable death, but this brings me to my next thing that I want to talk about. We can talk about the past all we want, but I think the best thing to do is be Forewarned about what's coming. Do you have any information for my audience? Right now is the time for people to start preparing for what's coming up and what's what's coming down the pipe. So, do you have anything that's that's um, red hot or even smoldering on the on the edge of the campfire there? That's like, man, that thing could could spark off another fire.
2: I think it's commissions. I think that the antis have figured out that they can. Somehow get into, let's say it's a purple state or a blue state where the governor is sympathetic to the antis and that happened in Washington state. That is a prime example. Spring bear in Washington state. That's like one of the first things that I worked on and hunters lost the spring bear hunt. And, were you
1: gonna call were you gonna call that a shit show? I'll call it a shit show if you don't want to.
2: <laughs> I did not, <laughs> but the wheels have come off. The wheels have come off in Washington. So uh, they you know there was a cancellation of the spring bear season. We submitted comments all over the board. Lots of organizations got involved, but the bottom line is the commission is stacked with anti-hunters, and it's not it's not the agency I think the agency clearly is making sound biological recommendations you know they some of the commissioners talked about science and I was like what science because I I tend to trust the agency science just in yeah, general exactly. I don't think that the biologists who who devoted their entire life to managing species are are deliberately misleading us. I don't believe that in one you know one iota but uh the anti one of the anti-hunting commissioners talked about her science essentially not not the real science and it pained me because the biologist for the state had 80 years worth of data that's that's real data science yes right. Mm -hmm. 80 years showing that we we can sustain this harvest and it was just ignored and so one of the other commissioners made a comment essentially I'm paraphrasing but like we talked about the blue mountain elk herd that was another issue there going on same time and the commissioner made the comment of why I don't see why we should kill more mountain lions just so hunters can have more elk to kill that was her take on that Mm -hmm. essentially saying let's let this and the department was saying the herd the blue mountain elk herd the calf production is low you know it's in danger of going below the minimum threshold of what we think is a healthy herd and her response to that was i I basically i don't care right just just paraphrasing and so that's i think a danger that's out there it's I, i you know right now there's a bill in in oregon that's a hot issue uh they had their commission was tied to congressional districts And this is a very nuanced issue, but uh, tied to congressional districts. They got a new congressional district, which means they have to change the makeup of their commission. And there's a coalition that's working out there in the Oregon Hunters Association. Amy Patrick, she's awesome, leading the charge and uh, essentially trying to change the commission to be based on like a watershed model, like, hey, or a geographic model of, Uh, like this area of the state is this eco region and it should have a commissioner representing that it makes a lot more sense than having a congressional district which means the majority of those people would be centered around the portland oregon area right right? not geographically distributed amongst the people who actually live with wildlife and who they could represent and so there was an attempt we we as a coalition, got that bill introduced and supported. And then like two weeks ago, there was an attempt to change all commissions. They couldn't change our bill, but it was an attempt to change all commissions across the board to a congressional model with three at large. And so it went against, and it was promoted by the antis. Mm -hmm. Well, then Amy out there working super hard on the ground, got a exemption for, Uh, the wildlife commission in that bill so that takes that away so now we're back on the original bill and we got another couple weeks or a month to go so so that's a fight that's out there
1: just so i know i understand what exactly what you're saying here say the commission is made up of 12 individuals if it's based on on a congressional district model then nine or ten of those could come from these these Portland, Oregon type areas. And then you've got one or two, or, you know, even a m- minority out here in the rural area that lives with wildlife. Is that how that goes?
2: Yes, that's exactly okay. correct.
1: Wow. Right? I just don't get it, man. I, I don't do not get, and it makes me question. It makes me question the validity of the North American model of, you know, the first tenant wildlife is a public trust. Um, When, when we want wildlife to be enjoyed by everybody as hunters, we we're paying that bill and we don't care, but I'm not coming to your homeowner association meetings and telling you what kind of flowers you can plant in your flower bed. And because my kid's got allergies and he's allergic to roses. So, because it doesn't affect me. I don't care. I don't live in your homeowners association. Same thing goes in this instance right here. You're not dealing. If you're, if you're living in the suburbs of Portland, you may enjoy coming out and, and seeing the elk and stuff and the wildlife, but you're not living with them. We live close to the land. We're out there interacting daily with them. Uh, and it affects our, our daily lives. It's simply a a recreation opportunity for most of these people that want to have a say in in wildlife management
2: yeah I think you know I live in suburban Kansas City I live on the edge of suburbia but and I I don't have this problem with my neighbors they all know who I am and they're we're all comfortable with each other but I saw it when I worked for the department and it's I love wildlife except when it's a coyote living underneath my porch or foxes I had, yes. When yes I lived yeah. in my last house I had a bunch of foxes cute little pup kits running around in my backyard but they burrowed underneath my slab patio and you know the the reality is these people don't want wildlife when it impacts them but they are happy to tell you how to live your life
1: you know i've got i've got a lot of friends and unfortunately even places like the flathead valley in montana are becoming suburban neighborhoods to Kalispell. Um uh, but I've never really asked any any of my friends this question, you know, what is it like to try to be a hunter in a suburban setting where people really don't have the same same respect, the same vision, the same outlook as as what we do as hunters.
2: All right. Well, I'll give you my spiel. Like during COVID, I took eight new neighbors fishing, had never bought a fish. They had never bought a fishing license, never gone fishing and took them out. And then one of my neighbors from Puerto Rico, I, he had never hunted before and he wants to go hunting now. I mean, that's I think you have to reach out. And I. It, for me, it started with feeding people. I started feeding people fish. Right. When you when you. Catch enough fish, you can feed a whole neighborhood essentially at a fish fry, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's a good introduction to offer them some something, like, or some. My my one neighbor, I brought him back. Actually, he was he had gone away from hunting for a long, long time. And uh when I took him, he asked I took him some fish, and he's like, I started talking about hunting. And he's like, I haven't shot a duck in a long time. And I'm like, you know what you like to eat duck I'll let you have some duck right so right back into the fold he comes and and I think that that's all right I, I in my neighborhood you know I clean my fish on the tailgate of my truck which awesome may, <laughs> right and I my daughter shot her first deer last year at age 10 and I I cleaned it on the tailgate of my truck as well so yeah I'm not afraid of that let's have a discussion. It's, I'm not doing it, you know, wide open. You have to kind of look if you're coming by my house and see me at my garage and I'm, right. look, you know, but let's have a discussion about it and get open and, and talk about it. And we have a neighborhood pool, association pool, you know, I mean, that mm-hmm. type of stuff. And so a lot of conversations occur up there and people don't understand that hunters pay for wildlife. They pay for wildlife for all, not just game species but non-game species a lot of people don't understand that in the public exactly like, my hunter's dollars pay for endangered species to be managed and that's a shocker for people right they're like hunters pay for that really I'm like yes hunters pay for that and you know it's a, it, it turns some heads for sure
1: it's definitely something that uh you know it gets lost in the sauce and the conversation a lot of times you know when you're we just dropped a podcast last week is, you know, what is your, why, why do you hunt? And, uh, uh, it was a great, great conversation and great topic to cover, but hunters have to be able to know these things and I don't, unless they get involved in organizations like yours, where you can get alerts, you can get newsletters, you know, it, if you want to know what's going on in the country, then, you know, you try to read try to stay informed about what's going on in in, on the political scene or if you want to know what's going on in your local town you know you take the local town paper and and you know being informed is important and we can't develop narratives and and have those discussions with people like you have by the way you hit all the r's and the r3 in recruitment retention and and reactivation there with your story chris you know Uh, yeah you hit all three buddy good job Good job. I, Way to represent.
2: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So I just I struggle with with guys that are not involved. They say that hunting is their life. It's the most important thing that they can do. And yet you talk to them about what organizations they belong to. And they it's like, oh, I don't belong to any organizations. What? How can this be? It's gotta be it's gotta be a huge thing for SEI, something you guys deal with all the time
2: yeah I think I I was in uh DC you know this week and there was there were some folks in who were not members of SCI but had come in as part of a group and they were walking around and we were helping out too with them and one of them was like I don't know I am not a member of SCI I'm like well sign up now right when I was a when I was with the state I, I did a bunch of national work too I was the vice chair of a committee a national committee of wildlife lawyers for about 15 years and that's where I saw SCI in action that's how I I I first I wanted to go to Africa and hunt and I did before I had kids now I've got you know four between 15 and 11 and so we're really busy in the house we still get get out to hunt but I'm not like zinging across the globe or anything you got four
1: between 15 and 11.
2: yes my wife you are busy wow yep and two drivers who know more than I do, obviously. You know. <laughs> I always make the dad joke, you know, you can't shoot red and green turtles out like Mario Kart. You actually have to drive and <laughs> pay attention to the road. Like, dad, really? So yeah. Um, anyway, I I, I saw uh, what SCI did, right? I, I joined SCI because I wanted to learn about Africa and I wanted to go on a Plains game hunt and I thought that would be a good way to learn but that isn't really I became a life member in 2007 I think because I believe in the mission of SCI and I saw what SCI's attorneys did coming to that that meeting that I hosted a couple times a year and SCI was the only group out there fighting legally you know we've got some good advocacy groups But most of, and I'm not diminishing what an individual group does, but most of them are nonprofit, 501c3, so they don't have the advocacy hook that we have. Like, I can do advocacy all day long. They're limited by federal law as a percentage of it. So, you know, if I can say one thing, if you want to, what the NRA is to guns, SCI is to hunters. Join SCI.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um it's going to take and I know you said you were you're not on the litigation side but I always ask all of my guests that come on from uh, organizations similar to yours uh, when are we going to start suing for wrongful death suits for these grizzly attacks you don't have to answer that if you yeah I
2: don't, I don't have a good answer for that
1: <laughs> you know but that's that's what you're saying you know we're taking SCI takes the fight back to you know, you're not just sitting there taking dollars and saying, "Hey, come and join us," and you get a nice newsletter, and we put out this really cool magazine, and you can come to our, hang out with us at the convention. You guys are out there on the ground working, and and also, you know, bringing litigation back towards the issues as well.
2: Right, we're bringing litigation and we're bringing advocacy to the fight every day. Yep. I was joking with my boss on Friday night, and we were at this reception dinner and he's like what are you doing i'm on my phone underneath the table and i was like i'm trying to get something done for colorado and he's like it's seven o'clock at night and i said yeah sci never quits working for you boss pay attention to
1: that nice little joke yeah yeah no doubt well what I, i was trying to find the mission statement and here it is The purpose and objectives are to advocate, preserve and protect the rights of all hunters. That's the first one to promote, promote safe, legal and ethical hunting and related activities to monitor, support, educate, and take uh, positions on social, national and international legislative, executive, judicial organizational endeavors that foster and support these purposes and objectives within the limits imposed by law and regulation, to inform and educate the public concerning hunting and related activities, and to conduct any other activities set forth in SCI's Articles of Incorporation. That's pretty comprehensive right there. And one of the things that I see a lot of is SCI is a is a recognized organization that the public is familiar with, and provides a lot of education, even to the the non hunting public, not the anti hunting public. The people like, you know, so many members of my family that that are just non hunters. They don't hunt. Right. So
2: education yeah. is obviously the key. And whether it's a member of the public or a member of Congress, we also have a a pack, right? Largest hunter led pack in the United States and a super pack. You have to be a member to give to the pack. Uh so I'm encouraging people to join. We help support those members in Congress. And I think the percentage was 94%. I saw it this weekend. 94% of the candidates that the sipac supported uh were elected or re-elected. And last the last election cycle it was like 96%. That's a pretty good return on your investment as a hunter if you donate to that. So I'd encourage everybody become a member donate to SciPac. also become a member of ttha texas trophy hunters association they're starting to get more active uh on the political side
1: yep yep well i think we should uh wrap it up with um tell them folks how to join safari club international
2: right go to our website safariclub.org we've got one-year membership we've got a three-year membership we've got a lifetime membership uh do one of those three options they're usually running some specials around like mother's day uh father's day so take a look at those i think that i saw that they did a three-year with a tacticam or you know a a, a, some sort of a, a trail camera that they'll send to you uh if you do that I would also encourage people to come to the show. If you've never been to the show, we just switched to Nashville and I've been a member, like I said, since 04. But um, I also used to come and teach at Safari Club. They have a continuing legal education class for lawyers there, and I would come and teach or attend that. So I've been to 10 or 12 shows. Uh, Nashville was hands down incredible, awesome. Great facility. Great town. I was stationed near there in the Army. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I spent a lot of time in Nashville, but even that's changed. In the, imagine that in 30 years the Nashville, the layout of Nashville has changed. But Nashville is an incredible time. The show is absolutely incredible. It's January 31st, February 3rd, 2024. Got to be a member to come. Uh, you can do a day pass or a two day or four day. And then there's some shows at night. But get get out walk around see hunters talk to hunters talk to outfitters it's awesome yeah. love it
1: yeah i'm i'm definitely going next year nashville's only about four and a half hours away from the house here and uh take in that but yeah to give everybody an idea i mean we're talking 65 dollars a year 150 dollars for three years and then 1500 for a lifetime membership to sci and um uh i joined at the nra show this year and opted in for the three-year package there to really give it a good give it a good test drive you know but a lot of benefits everything everything is on the website if you go to safariclub.org and you got to be involved you know we we obviously um we provide memberships when people join us on Patreon to the sportsman's Alliance and, um, we're, we're partnered up with them as well, but I'm telling you, you've got to be involved in these organizations. If we're going to make a difference, these are the folks that are out here working for us every day to make sure we, and honestly, I mean, I just feel like a freeloader if I'm not doing my part and. You know, it it would be real easy for me to sit back and say, good job, Chris. I'm I'm glad you went to Washington and and fought for my rights. But you got to have some skin in the game somewhere, folks. You got to put some skin in the game.
2: We met with over 60 members of Congress this last week. And uh, I can't remember the exact number of members, but members open doors, right? So to your point, I'm Chris from SCI doesn't open the door like I'm Chris from Utah or I'm Chris from Missouri or whatever it is I'm your constituent that's what Mm -hmm. opens the door and they want to listen to you right they want to listen to the those members those constituents from their district I'm with you join I'm a life member of a couple organizations you know NRA and I am
1: too
2: right put your money where your mouth is Send letters when they ask you to. I think the biggest thing for me also for people who listen, I am not all knowing. I can't follow everything all the time. And if you see something, say something. It's your obligation as a hunter to stand up and say something and send it to me. And I can amplify that. Send it to any of the number of organizations out there. But in particular, the ones who can advocate for you, send it to us and let us get the word out. We need your help.
1: I'll hold you to that one right on yeah yeah for sure because we've always got our audience is great they they keep keep us informed of what's going on locally we we work with some great state organizations that that are always uh keeping their memberships informed and keep they include us in those so yeah maybe we can do something uh across the board here keep keep SCI informed as well
2: yeah Keep me busy. It's job security, right? You got, make it. Sure you got fight, it. Fight these bad proposals off.
1: All right. Well, hey, Chris, I appreciate your time. I know you're coming in off a busy road from traveling and then you're heading back out. So keep up the good fight, man.
2: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: You bet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. And make sure you're checking out our... Uh, Website. We're always putting new stuff on the website, alerts, things like that. You can follow us on social media. Social media moves at the speed of light. It's a lot easier to post stuff there than on a website. So make sure you're following us at HoundsmanXP uh, Houndsman XP Podcast and the HoundsmanXP Podcast Group on Facebook. And then over on Instagram, make sure you're following us there under HoundsmanXP Podcast and check out Go Wild go wild the social media platform for hunters made by hunters for hunters it's a great platform where they don't censor your material so you can check us out there as well until next time hunt them hard and treat them like heroes i'm going to steal that one from seth and and chad i love that saying but thanks for listening to houndsman xp podcast this is fair chase